Hello and welcome to Nightlight. We're going to be talking today about kinds of prayer, specifically supplication, binding, and loosing. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a confession to make about prayer, and it is this. I seem to shut down inside any time I hear a teaching on prayer that seems to reduce prayer to a mere formula. I don't mean to be unteachable. I want to learn from others about their experiences in prayer and also to hear from the scriptures things that may or may not be familiar to me. Uh, but the moment it sounds like a mechanical formula, or worse, a legal transaction, I'm no more interested. I'm not any more interested than a bride might be to go to a mechanic shop on her honeymoon. But I think the fault in that is my failure to remember that uh, there's different kinds of prayer. There are different purposes in prayer that are expressed in different ways, and there are different levels of intimacy. God loves everybody. Everybody does not love God. So when we are called upon by life circumstances to take a stand in the le a level of prayer that seems mechanical or legalistic. We're not denying or diminishing the element of prayer that is rooted in relationship, intimacy, and closeness. In fact, it is because of those foundational elements of closeness and intimacy, which never change, that we then can have the boldness and endurance to enter into the less warm but still important kinds of prayer that do not seem to be rooted in relationship. Does that make sense? And God is so loving and patient that he will respond to what may seem to us to be mere mechanics if that response will help the person doing the praying draw closer to him through the, the learning process that he's in. Now, think of a young soldier whose father is also his commanding officer on a battlefield. I know there are terrible examples of that, but imagine with me an ideal situation where the father and the son have a cl close, deeply personal uh, care for one another and who are, for whatever reason, placed on the same battlefield. In the privacy of his father's tent, they may share all the warmth and closeness of their family bonds. But when the battle must be engaged, the soldier doesn't abandon the closeness with his father. He carries it with him. But he obviously must function on a different level in the battle itself than he did while he was just alone with his father. Simplistic as that is, Maybe we can gain some right perspective from imagining it so we can fulfill any assignment we have been given by the Holy Spirit that is an invitation, uh, but it's not an invitation to intimacy. It's, it's, an, it's an assignment in battle. It's a call to arms. Now, I've used two kinds of descriptions that I find personally difficult to relate to. A mechanical and or a, a legal one. I don't like mechanical teaching on prayer if it's not rooted in relationship with God. Teaching me 
how to get what I want from God, quote, unquote, is disgusting to me. Just as it would be if you were to teach me a course on how to get all you can out of your father's bank account. That would, that would turn me off too. Also, teachings about going to the courtroom of heaven and pleading your case, which is pretty popular in many circles. Uh, and, and it has some merit. I don't, I don't for one minute say it doesn't, but it still leaves me cold inside. I'm, I'm sure that that comes from my many experiences in the cold and often heartless mechanisms of courtrooms I've had to be in for various reasons. I don't have any interest in either image of prayer uh, because it makes no place for relationship. But obviously, if we are to understand the whole counsel of God related to prayer, we have to understand both of these kinds of prayer. When entered into in the right spirit, both of these kinds of prayer flow out of one central river of God's ultimate purpose, which is to bring us into relationship. Of course, there are different levels of relationship. A person who's just beginning to pray won't have the same ability to discern and listen and be sensitive to the heart of the Lord as one who's been praying for years. This is not at all a matter of merit or of having earned a place, but more it's just a matter of developing a loving, listening relationship. A person with more than one child understands as they grow older that though you love them all the same, you do not relate to them all the same. And some, maybe one, you know you can trust more than the others from from your experience with them. Your bond with him or her is not less than that of the others, but your ability to entrust certain issues with them is simply greater. And in those cases, the mature trusted son or daughter can be sent on a mission for the father that in itself will not have any room in it for warmth or closeness. You just have to get the job done. That will all remain safely protected in the heart of both the father and the child, but the task at hand, be it mechanical or seemingly legal, still has to be accomplished. So there are times when we must act in prayer in what may seem like, feel like, we are being mechanical or legalistic. But the very impetus behind praying is our relationship with God. Our going into Him in secret obviously implies worship, closeness, warmth, welcome, and love. And who wouldn't want to just remain there? But we're not to remain little children in our dad's lap. He wants mature sons and daughters, although we can always return again and again to that lap, and no matter how big we may grow, it's always available. One of my students who's now 23 and is married and is himself a coach and a leader uh, wanted to help his dad, who he also uh, who's also a coach and a teacher. He wanted to help his dad loosen up a, a bit. So when he went to a college football game to meet his family in the stands, he just impulsively sat down in his dad's lap and put his arms around him. 
to his happy surprise, his dad returned the hug and didn't let go. And they remained in that hilarious and warm posture for several long minutes in front of a few hundred game watchers. It turned out his dad was missing those days far more than his grown son had been missing them. And it has only gotten better and better since. But that's another story. But the point is, we never outgrow our need for or access to our Father's lap. So don't let this teaching on kinds of prayer dissuade you one bit. Let the never-changing love call up and forward in you more and more power to move in different prayer levels. Okay, that's our introduction. Our main focus in this study is to understand how we are to function in prayer when it simply a when it's simply a matter of just doing it. Have you ever had times? Sure you have. When all you got to do to feel a thousand reasons not to pray is to focus on going to prayer. And you're not going to feel warm and fuzzy if you press through that. You may have to slug your way into it and go through what seems like the mechanical motions and hear a voice in your head the whole time telling you that you're a hypocrite because if you really uh, were in touch with the Spirit, you would feel the presence of God. There's no warmth, no feelings, no intimacy, just slugging it out in prayer. Have you Have you been there? I've been there many times. Now, how do we do that? And how do we discern when such prayer is being called for by the Holy Spirit? For it is the Holy Spirit who orchestrates the entire scenario. The more intimate we are with him, the clearer we will be able to hear him when he says, okay, this is not a time to snuggle. This is a time to struggle. Well, should there ever be struggle in prayer? If it is the prayer of faith, can there be a struggle in it? Have you ever heard someone teach that if you pray for someone more than one time, then the second or third time you prayed was a prayer of unbelief? That you should pray once and then thank God for the answer. Never pray that prayer again. Well, I've heard that teaching too. And it always confused me because Jesus talks about knocking. And the Greek there is clearly a repeated action. Knock and keep knocking. Seek and keep seeking. Ask and keep asking. So the folks who teach that you should not ask more than once are usually referring to a certain kind of prayer. And in that context, they are probably correct. But obviously, Jesus makes it clear that there's another realm of prayer where repetition is not just okay, it's called for. So we need to examine two words that are found in Scripture, but which can sound so formal and uninviting that we shy away from them. But shying away from them is not fruitful for us because we need to understand their place. So when you hit a time in your life when the Lord is calling for you to enter into that particular kind of praying, you will easily move into it and not shy away from it because of misunderstanding the word. The words are supplication 
and then the whole concept of binding and loosing. See, they're rather high-sounding and maybe even so formal or complicated-sounding that we just ignore their special meaning and go on and, quote, just talk to God, friend to friend, or child to father. Well, of course, just talking to God out of that closeness, uh, as I've said it a dozen times, it never changes. It's always there. But, as I've also said, such closeness though it never decreases or changes, will not carry us into whole earthly life until the day when we will be able to uh, say goodbye to prayer forever and just enter into our home relationship with our Father. If we're going to grow up and become sons and daughters of maturity that God can entrust with his secrets, with his heart, then we're going to have to be willing to learn how to move in realms of prayer that seem like they are unemotional. Um, And supplication is a word that we need to understand. The word supplication refers to making a request humbly and respectfully. It is used in the Bible over 60 times, 50 times, plus times in the Hebrew Scriptures, and uh, almost a dozen times in the New Testament, though it is thought of by most folks as just a, a more elaborate synonym for prayer, the word supplication obviously has its own special meaning, or we wouldn't need the word. It refers mainly to our attitude of approach. If you look at just a few of the references to supplication in Scripture, you will see that it is often associated with kneeling or weeping or with hands lifted. Now, the weeping is not a put-on thing, obviously. The weeping comes out of a genuine, heartfelt, emotional interaction in prayer. But supplication is when you go beyond just sitting in a comfortable corner spending time with God because you love him and letting him love you, and it goes into a legal posture. There are times when I am suddenly aware that I want to express myself to the Lord in a more worshipful way than just sitting in my chair. There is absolutely nothing wrong with just sitting in my chair. But if posture expresses attitude, and I think it certainly can, then I want my posture in a certain prayer at times to express my attitude. And even though sitting in a chair or lounging around or lying by a riverbank or you name it may be great postures for times of just being together, to make supplication is to enter a special time where your weakness cries up to God's strength. Your lowly position appeals up to God's supreme position. It can refer, the word supplication can refer to human interactions, but in our present focus, we're looking at our approach to the strongest and greatest, not merely a human request. I don't want to get too personal about this, 
it's not right for me to make a teaching out of my own private prayer interactions with the Lord. First, they are, as I've said, private between me and him alone. But second, I don't want to try to impose my stuff on you. But in this case, if it is helpful, then please take whatever of it is helpful. If not, just forget it. But I have times when I've made, I, I, I've been made aware that I need to change my tone of voice to the Lord. What I mean is I become aware that what I'm saying and what I'm asking for, if I'm asking, <clears throat> may be of such a nature that I need to be aware of my attitude, my posture, my tone of voice, and I need to present before the Lord a legal case from Scripture about what I'm praying for. Not because God is a legalist and not because God has to be reminded of the law books that he has to obey because God doesn't have to obey anything. But for my sake and for the sake of the watching universe, I come before the Lord in certain situations as a legal counselor would come before the judge and make a case based on the scriptures about this certain issue. Our posture in prayer greatly expresses our tone of voice. So kneeling is a great way to say with body language, Father, you know my heart, and behind closed doors, it's just me and you, and I love you and you love me, wink, wink. But before the courts of heaven, uh, I don't mean to come before you in a flippant way. And though I know you are always with me and I can struggle, snuggle up to you anytime, at this moment, I need to ask you something and I need to express myself to you in the most humble and dependent way that I can express. So please hear my tone of voice. You see this in many of the verses of Scripture that refer to supplication. <clears throat> Here is one we may all know from memory. Paul says in Philippians 4, Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, <clears throat> let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. Then Ephesians six eighteen, <clears throat> Praying always with all kinds of prayer, and supplication in the Spirit, and watching with focused purpose in your making supplication for all the saints. Both these verses describe a mindset that we have to develop. I don't know many of us who come to this easily or quickly or automatically. <clears throat> but if we want to uh, improve that desire by working at it, we will grow in these truths, and more to the point, the reality of them will grow in us. This is akin to Paul's statement in 1 Thessalonians 5 to, quote, pray without ceasing. It's a place of inner focus, and for lack of a better way to say it, praying all the time for all sorts of things. But then, specifically, focusing on certain issues that require more of our attention. So in this context, Paul is saying, if I can paraphrase it, 
Don't allow yourself to become fearful, but do the opposite in everything. Turn it into prayer. And as you do, you will notice some things that seem to be far more important to you than others. In that, make your specific supplication with a watchful focus. Be mindful of all kinds of ways to pray in the Spirit with thanksgiving and specific asking, as well as general intercessory blessing on all the saints. Try to unpack this paraphrased amplification of those two verses quoted from Ephesians and Philippians. Paul is telling us that as we continue to grow closer to God's heart, we will begin to know his heart for life. And at the same time, we will slowly be given his heart into our heart. We are growing more and more to be one with him as we grow in this level of prayer. And this is referred to as supplication. Now and then, someone will ask about Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or Psalm 20, Grant, uh, Lord, grant you the desire of your heart, and fulfill all your heart's desire. And people will ask, does that mean he will grant you your desire, or he will grant you to become filled with his desire as it relates to you? And of course, the answer to those two questions is yes, to both. Both interpretations are right. For the whole purpose of our training in the mystery of prayer is that we come into such union of heart with God that what he desires becomes what we desire, and what we desire he can eventually fulfill. I keep saying it because we need to keep hearing it over and over till we get it. That God is never interested in our merely being puppets on his string, so to speak, but that he wants sons and daughters who love what he loves and hate what he hates and who have our own mind and will and that we have have so yielded that mind and will to him that we are as one with him just as Jesus demonstrated as a human being when he was on the earth. He did nothing but what he saw his father do and his will was only to do his father's will. We are destined to become like our elder brother. But it's a process. I know, I've said it many times, and I probably will say it again. If we have that truth in focus, we can explore all the different kinds and levels of prayer without letting that exploration become a mechanical method or a legalistic obeying of rules. See, the difficulty I have at this point is that I don't want to so clearly and precisely define anything that you develop the idea of <clears throat> that you don't develop uh, your own understanding and your own monitoring of prayer in order to determine uh, okay am i praying supplication now or am i in intercession am i enjoying the presence of the lord or do i need to be in some kind of warfare posture <clears throat> see the trouble it's only good to consider these different forms of prayer as we learn about them, but as we should so learn about them so that we can discard them and become just a flow of reality through us. 
we should not be fully conscious of exactly what form of prayer we're praying while we're praying it. Uh, a well-trained musician is never conscious. I am now playing an E-flat, now a C. Soon I will play a B-flat. Well, he couldn't play well at all if he became conscious of which notes he's playing at the moment. Same example could be seen in a really fluent basketball player or, or any anything that we do as an art form. We can learn basics by focusing on them, but the more we do learn them, the less we think about what we are doing and just do it. It's not focusing on how we're doing it. In fact, such focus, such introspection is actually eventually the killer of real prayer. You get so focused on yourself, you, you, you forget what you're doing. You end up thinking about yourself and how you are or are not keeping the rules instead of what you're doing and who you are addressing and why. Now, having said that, we need to examine the prayer of supplication a bit more. We've already stated that the word has a specific meaning beyond just another word for prayer. Else, we would not need it at all. So what are we saying when we refer to supplication? It's a specific form of prayer that focuses on humility, submission, dependence, confidence in the one we're asking, and also a specific embracing of his promises as related to that issue. See, we are seeing an issue that is not in line with his will, and we are asking for his intervention to change the circumstances that will alter that issue and bring it in line with his will. This could take all sorts of forms, but I guess the one that's most often comes to mind is our prayers for our loved ones, lost or in some kind of trouble. If we keep in mind the basic rule that we are not informing God of what he does not know and we are not trying to talk God into something he's not willing to do, we understand that our prayer is a function of love and God has ordained this setup, this interaction of your concern for someone else's need placed on your heart by the Holy Spirit so that you can then bring that need to the Father. And you pray back to God what was on God's heart for you to be awakened to pray for on behalf of a third person or third situation. This will keep you from begging and pleading and being fearful that maybe it's not God's will what I'm praying. Now, God's will to save, to bring life out of death, to turn suffering into victory, that's God's will. See why we need to understand God's word? See why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Romans, Romans 10 says. Now this is where we can get into the weeds and suffocate our own prayers if we're not careful. Questions arise. And that's okay unless you let the questions get bigger than your prayers. I've been praying for my wayward son for so long and nothing seems to be happening. My friend tells me I need to stop praying and roll it over on the Lord. Well, that depends. If your friend is seeing that the more you pray and don't see anything happening, the more fearful and unbelieving and negative you're becoming, 
then I would agree with your friend. You need to lay it aside, roll the care of it over on the Lord until you can hear the Holy Spirit clearly direct you as to how to pray in love and faith. But if your friend is saying that nothing is happening because you should have only prayed one prayer and all your repeated prayers were in unbelief, then we may need to unpack this whole thing a little bit better. Praying over and over and getting more frustrated and fearful every time you pray is praying in unbelief, and it will wear you out, drain your joy, and make you give up in prayer completely. But going to God relationally, but also with a specific request from his word that you can focus on and believe places all feelings to the side. And you are operating in truth and faith. And regardless of any evidence or lack thereof, you lay all that aside and you are humbly, thankfully coming into God's presence and in faith speaking up to God what he has in faithfulness already spoken to you. You do have any promise of God that he wants to uh, and will move to save your loved ones. Do you, do you have any promise like that? You shall be saved and your house. All your children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. You take hold of those verses and you bring them without any emotion, especially fear, especially insecurity. You bring that before the Lord. Uh, I'm assuming that you're not duped by false teachings that some people are not chosen and therefore you can never know for sure if they're in the elect or not. So you can never pray in faith for them. I assume you know better than that and so that's all I'll say about that. God wants your children or your husband or wife or your whoever it is, he wants them to turn to him. Supplication for them will be a matter of time, patience, and ongoing faith in God's love and power. For as we've said over and over and over and over, God is always dealing with our wills and the will of others. He will not just overpower them to suit you, but he will in response to your faith and love for them begin to move things around in their lives in order to bring them to a place where they will hear and respond to him. That may take a while. It may take a lifetime. And in the process, God will be teaching you how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to adjust your praying accordingly. You may begin with a prayer, Lord, save my son. Of course the Lord hears that because it's his will to save your son. He's the one who stirred up in you the longing to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in your son. Then he wants to help you learn to discern, be patient, trust, adjust your praying, and endure the process without giving in to fear or impatience. Let me add here, such praying is never fruitless. God doesn't have to play a nine-inning game. He plays till he wins. This is where his sovereign over, sovereignty overrules our wills for our sakes. We don't know how God will deal with things on the other side of death, and our tendency to make statements of absolute knowledge about it are all wrong. 
The tendency to believe our prayers make no difference cause us to either not pray or stop praying. When, if we embrace the sovereignty of God and the love of God as both omnipotent, he will, we will pray with great power and effectiveness and we won't give up no matter how the circumstances temporarily seem to be against us. Psalm 62, verse 11 and 12, God has spoken once, twice have I heard it, that power belongs to God and loving kindness, and he will render to every man according to his work. Keep in mind, we're talking about personal supplication, supplication on behalf of issues related to you personally. But this principle, these principles also operate on a larger scale for prayers for nations or bigger events. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But this is an example of supplication for a personal concern. And see how God God's desire becomes your desire, and then you cry up to God that desire, and then together you both begin to work toward that desire's fulfillment. That's a much greater and more comforting and more clarifying concept of prayer than the idea of you just groveling before a potentate whose will you don't fully know and who you hope will be on your side but who is not. Uh, always on your side. Uh, see, we got to get rid of uh, so many wrong concepts of God. But see how the moment you start doubting God's heart and demanding proof of his promise and hoping that he will somehow care about what you care about, uh, the, the moment you start thinking like that, you're breaking the power of connection to God that is the only source of power that can work for the fulfillment of your prayer. Beside that, you're making the mistake of thinking that you are the one who cares and God must not care, so you've got to talk God into caring. That's crazy. It's unbelief. It's praying in fear. It's begging God uh, as if... (laughs) It's just crazy. Okay, so do we understand why then that supplication can be an ongoing prayer? Not something you just pray once and then then thank God for it. Just pray once and then thank God. It's not that you are mechanically asking the same request over and over, but you are focusing on the same request over and over as you listen to the Spirit guiding you as to how to continue to pray into that situation. And you see yourself accurately if you see yourself as the conduit of God's love and power through your prayers on behalf of the one you are praying for or the situation you are praying for or you name the issue. This is also true if you are supplicating on a much larger scale, say, for national repentance. We'll look more at national repentance uh, in in an upcoming session, Lord willing. For now, I want to shift gears a bit to another form of prayer, but one that is closely related to supplication, though it's not exactly the same. And that refers to the concept of binding and loosing. Now, remember, we are only learning ideas here and not methods. You will pray according to your heart, according to the leadership of the Spirit, not according to concepts that you learn. 
if you have been around for a few years, you probably encountered the term binding and loosing in some prayer circles. It's sometimes heard being used as a sort of magical phrase to strike the devil inoperative. Devil, we bind you in Jesus' name. I remember many years ago, a rather tired-looking lady asked me uh, after a meeting, if you bind the devil, how long does he stay bound until you have to bind him again? That's sort of a funny story because you know why she was probably having to ask the question. She was engaged in some kind of struggle and her commands for the devil to be bound didn't seem to be working very well or the devil had been bound with a long chain. The sad fact is, at the time, I didn't know a very accurate way to answer her, so I probably just said some worn-out cliché about spiritual authority and so forth. But what I should have told her is what I want to tell you now, that binding and loosing does not refer to tying up the devil with a spiritual rope. It does have to do with interfering with him and his plans, but we need to understand better how it all works. And again, at risk of boring you with the warning, we are learning principles. We are not working spells or practicing legalisms. <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He said this in direct reference to forgiving people. To bind and loose was a very common rabbinic phrase called halakha, and it refers to allowing or disallowing something. A rabbi would offer a legal decision to someone about whether they could or could not do a certain thing. He would either bind them or loose them. Either they were free to do the thing or they were not free. In reference to forgiving here in Matthew 18, Jesus is saying in this context that if we refuse to forgive, we are binding the person and the situation. And if we choose to forgive them, we are setting the entire situation free. We are loosing. It may help to think in terms of our unforgiveness binding people and loosing the devil, where our forgiveness looses people and binds the devil. So in that sense, binding and loosing does refer to binding the devil, so to speak. But let's look more closely at what is going on when we bind and loose in prayer. What Jesus is saying here is only one part of a large assignment he has called all of us to participate in. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus is overjoyed when Peter answers his question, Who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus responds, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Then he explains that he is building an army on earth called the Ecclesia, the church, which is a word for a governing body of rulers. And he says that the gates of hell, which are the places of ancient cities where governing activity and war plans were made, that the, the governing activities and war plans of Satan and hell will not prevail against the church that operates in binding and loosing. 
This is not because Peter is now the Pope that Jesus gives him the keys. Those keys are given to every believer who says what Peter said. What did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everybody that believes that gets those keys. With those keys, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Greek here is very complicated. It's actually uh, because in Greek it's telling us a lot more detailed information than the mere English rendering of it that I just quoted you. The English simplifies it, but in doing so, it loses very important instructions we need to understand, especially in the day we're living now. I want to quote Dr. Jack Haverd from his unpacking of this verse uh, because he does it so well, I can't improve on it. He says, Whatever you may at any time encounter of hell's counsels, which I'm declaring my church shall prevail against, you will then face a decision as to whether you will or won't bind it. What transpires will be conditional upon your response. If you do consciously involve yourself in the act of binding the issue that the devil has set in motion on earth, you will discover that that future moment when you do that has already been done in heaven. (laughs) I told you it was a bit complicated. Complicated or not, it's important that you understand it. Let's go through it one more time. Whatever you may at any time encounter of hell's counsels, like, for instance, uh, a child of yours is in trouble and it's it looks like it could ruin his future, or whatever, you name it. The, 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 the battle we're in for the life of the Republic of the United States right now. Whatever you see coming that the devil has set in motion, well, I've declared to my church that my church can prevail against all the plans of the devil, all the plans of the gates of hell. But you will have to face the decision as to whether you will or won't bind it. What transpires will be conditional upon your decision. If you do consciously involve yourself in the act of binding the issue of the devil on earth, you will discover that at that same moment it was already being done in heaven, or has already been done in heaven. Binding and loosing, the Greek word for supplicate, by the way, is uh, the word for loosing, very closely related. Desis is supplication, and deo, deo, is uh, loosing. So without using the term binding and loosing, We enter into binding and loosing by seeing what the enemy is doing that's not God's will, declaring out loud in prayer what is God's will, humbly submitting before God, the great judge and king and ruler of the universe, that what's happening is not God's will, and asking God to intervene according to his will, Not a passive, meaningless, Lord, if it be thy will. That's not what I'm talking about. That's the great negation of prayer 
that people people use to try to get God off the hook in case it's not his will, then the prayer doesn't come to pass, and so we're off the hook because it wasn't God's will, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, God ordained the thing, and the enemy is trying to stop it. God is expecting his people to take the authority of the scriptures, bring it before the court of heaven in proper supplication, in proper humility before God, gratefulness toward God, thanksgiving toward God for his goodness and his His goodwill, and then taking authority against the purposes of the enemy to thwart God's will and bring forth God's full purpose in that situation. In other words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So get this clearly. So let's try to bring this into some clarity and summarize it this way. Get this clearly in your thinking. Number one, there are times when even though we are always our father's loved son or daughter and are always welcome in his arms, we are called to engage in a kind of prayer that is more formal and if misunderstood could be seen as mechanical or legalistic. But when we are called to that kind of prayer, we will sense a strong resistance to us in, in, in entering that prayer. These are the kinds of calls to prayer that are met with all kinds of weird emotional feelings or condemnation or who do you think you are or silly things that were not important to you a few minutes ago and all of a sudden they become vitally important or, you know, we all know those things. Ignore them. Forget them, especially if they're condemning you and telling you you're not worthy to pray. That's a, boy, that's the big one. Oh, you're not worthy to pray. The, the, The devil not only keeps you from prayer and not only lies to you, but dishonors the the shed blood of the cross by telling a blood-washed child of God he is not blood-washed. I mean, don't ever give in to it. Do just the opposite. Number two, we refuse to fall into mere mechanics or legalism, but just as a child can grow also uh, to become a grown partner in his father's business, so we discern when we must not just snuggle with God but we must take the posture of supplication. It may mean putting ourselves in a submitted position of worshipful pleading as we present back to God what we have discerned is his will. So we're not pleading to try to change God's mind. We are simply stating in the court of heaven what is legally true in his will for us and for the situation. This is not operating in line with the will of God. Therefore, we decree in the name of Jesus that it must be forced into line with the will of God. The situation, the occasion, the person, the nation. We're not manipulating people with our prayers. We are simply stating, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the life of Joe. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the life of this nation. Or whatever. Number three, we see what the enemy wants to do or keep us from doing, 
and we then bind his activity and loose God's purpose in the devil's place. And we do that maybe without ever, ever using the term. Number four, we don't necessarily use the term bind or loose, but we are doing the binding and loosing when we pray the will of God and ask his will to be done in the situation. We do not directly engage the devil in order to bind him, but we engage our Father in worshipful trust and love, repeating back to him what his spirit has awakened in us to pray. Number five, it's not an automatic given that we will take this position in prayer. And if we do not, the purpose of God in this will go unaccomplished. If we do, then it will be accomplished. Number six, we understand that what we are praying involves other wills, other dynamics, and therefore may take time to be worked out, and we therefore continue to stand in prayer for that issue for as long as it takes, trusting God's heart and wisdom. Verse uh, Number seven, in engaging with God on this level, we are not only accomplishing the taking of territory on the earth, but more to the point, we are becoming more and more one with his heart in the intimacy of the work of prayer. We, and and uh, I've said this before, but let me say this in closing. We keep on praying because the circumstances keep on changing and we don't get hyper-exhilarated when they seem to go in our favor, and we don't get discouraged and depressed when they seem to go against us. We're not worried about that. Uh, we're we're, we're, we're uh, trusting God, who's flowing through our prayers into the situation, who is working against oppositions in demons and in men, who may be in uh, flux, and in that flux we continue to call upon God's grace and power to be at work in the midst of it. So we're our eyes are on the Lord, not on the present circumstances. So we, we may pray about something continually for months, for years. I've got things I'm praying about that I've been praying about for years. Have they changed? You bet they've changed. Have they completely changed? Obviously not, or I wouldn't still be praying about it. But are they better than they were? I don't know. They're different. (laughs) Are they better? Well, if you interpret the word better as in a closer position toward the final great outcome, then I would say, yes, they're better. Uh, They may flip-flop tomorrow and seem worse. It's not going to change my focus on God, my focus in prayer, and His his uh, divine sovereignty and wisdom and goodness and love. And he and I are in total agreement together, so I'm not fearful that he's going to drop the ball or decide all of a sudden at the end of it all that, uh, no, I guess this is not going to work out. Or Sorry, Clay, I know you spent your life trusting me for this, but too bad, so sad. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. This creates more and more thanksgiving, which creates more and more worship, which releases more and more power, which moves things more and more for the kingdom. And then uh, I've already read to you number seven, in engaging with God on this level, 
we are not only accomplishing the taking of territory, but we are becoming more and more one with God in, in the heart level. Okay. Now, I don't have time to get into this next part, but I want to introduce it to your thinking so that you've already been thinking about it as we, we enter into the next, the, the next thing I want to talk about. What about prayer that seems to be knocking on God's door, knocking on God's door, yelling at God, like Isaiah says, cry to the Lord, give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Are there times when you're to give God no rest? How do we interpret that? I want to leave you with an opening scripture that, Lord willing, we'll begin the next session with, and that's Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, where it says, A thing was revealed to Daniel, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. The thing was true, but the time appointed was long. We'll unpack that in our next session where we delve into another fancy word on prayer called importunity. What is importunity? Well, we'll talk about it in the next session. Father, I pray for every man and woman and boy and girl in the sound of my voice. I pray for a great release of power in their prayers. I pray, Father, that they will rise above uh, and they'll get a righteous anger at the accusation of the enemy that tells them they're not qualified to pray or they're not in a right posture to pray or they're, they're not pure enough to pray. Uh, any form of accusation that keeps them from prayer. I pray, Father, that out of sheer anger against that lie, they will move into prayer, position themselves in prayer, and begin to lay out before you their case, uh, which will silence the false voice of the enemy and release the truth of God in the situation they're praying for. Thank you, Father, that you will give us more and more and more clarity and power in prayer as we grow in unity and love and faith in the face of the battles we're up against. We thank you, Father, that when we think like this, the battles of the earth become opportunities that we're excited about instead of resistances we're nervous about. In Jesus' holy name, amen.